If you're looking for something to do this May 30th through June 2nd, why don't you join us at CrimeCon in Nashville, Tennessee? We can all rub elbows with people like John Walsh, John Douglas, and Chris Hansen. Come and visit Murder in the Rain on Podcast Row, where we'll be sitting next to some of our own favorite podcasts. You can get 10% off your tickets by using code RAIN at checkout at CrimeCon.com. Hello, everybody. We are going to be doing things a little bit differently today. The last time we took a week off and shared a Patreon episode, it was all the way back in September when Josh was having his open heart surgery. And this last week, we had something equally life-altering occur. And that was our live show on June 24th at Revolution Hall. We had a great time. I think the show went well. It did. And everyone at Revolution Hall was awesome. Our uh roadies uh, the, the one i can remember chloe i think right yeah she was awesome it was she a was great, great place the rooftop bar was awesome and our our audience was was uh was great and it was so good to see them and meet them um there you go yes i we want to give a special thank you to everyone that you know took their time and money to come all the way out to revolution hall and to come see us we really did have the best time and we can't wait to do it again. And our next live show will be at the True Crime and Paranormal Festival in Austin in August. So we will be talking more about the live show on Shoop and the Poop over on Patreon. And speaking of Patreon, a short while back, I decided to try something new while telling true crime stories by asking, what if they are false? Inspired by the 90s jam of a show beyond belief, I created Deduce where I tell several stories of bizarre, funny, or unbelievable crimes, I ask Josh, Emily, and you, dear listener, if you're able to deduce the truth and can tell which stories are real and which have been created by my imagination. This was the first installment, and episode two will be coming out on our Patreon this Thursday. You can access it for just $5 a month. Also on Patreon for free, some of our earlier episodes. We didn't change them or anything. I mean, Josh did some remastering, which is appreciated, so they're sounding better. But we just felt that in four years of having our show, those older episodes didn't reflect our improved sound or growth as researchers, writers, or even people. So it's just some light housekeeping, but they are all still available. So you can go check them out at Patreon. And while you're at it, you can sign up to get Deduce, Hometown Cases, Shoop in the Poop, and tons of other bonus episodes. I legitimately would love to hear from all of you. You can email us at murderintherain at gmail.com. And I want to hear how many Deduce cases you got right or why you thought they were false or if you have any ridiculous true crime stories you think would be a good fit. So now we present from our Patreon feed, Deduce, Episode 1. Deduce! Almost exactly 26 years ago, a show premiered on Fox that asked viewers to test the limits of their imaginations. Originally hosted by James Brolin on May 25, 1997, the reins were then passed to Jonathan Frakes for the next three seasons. With his dramatic delivery of cheesy lines and the most Canadian-looking production, the cult classic Beyond Belief, Fact or Fiction, found its way into our hearts and most frighteningly, our minds. Ooh. Inspired by our recent rediscovery of the show, now streaming on Tubi, I would like to present to you, the listener, tales of outrageous crimes. Some may be true, some may be false. It will be up to you to decide. 
Do you think you have what it takes to decipher these bizarre stories, or will the mystery remain unsolved? So you're not going to tell us the answer? <laughs> well, stay tuned, for after I share these stories, I'll reveal if they are fact or fiction. You may find the answers to be beyond belief. <laughs> And since we don't want to rip off the show completely, and the show itself has some racist issues like blaming strange occurrences on cultures and curses, and if this goes well, I hope to make it a recurring segment, Josh came up with the title of Deduce, because deuce goes well with shoop in the poop. For a dramatic flair, there is some indulging of the details. Some of these stories are longer as there was more information available, some are shorter as there wasn't, or is it due to their being made up? We'll just have to wait and see. Join me as I tell four tales of strange behaviors and dangerous choices. Did these crimes really take place, or am I just making them up? That will be up to you to deduce. Can you deduce the truth? Oh. What would a series of stories about bizarre crime be without a visit to Florida? And what would a Florida story be without an alligator? This tale of reptilian revenge is called See You Later, or Will I? Mm. I'm going to take notes. <laughs> For this story, we'll travel to the city of Belle Isle, just outside Orlando, Florida. It's a small but affluent community, home to less than 7,000 people. It offers the best combination of being close to a city like Orlando while enjoying the rural nature of the area. Bernice Howell had lived in the Belle Isle area for years and was 72 years old in 1991. She had been a widow for over 10 years by then, making due thanks in part to the large insurance policy her husband had left for her and the family business. Edmund, or Eddie Howell, had been a shoe manufacturer before passing away. Bernice never had anything to do with the business, but she collected a percentage of the profits long after Eddie was gone. She didn't spend much, so her family would be next to receive the never-ending checks. Sadly, her daughter Layla passed away in 1977 before having any children, leaving only her son Robert, his wife Amy, and their children, Edith, named after her grandfather, and Jack, to claim the fortune. Their grandfather's name was Edith? No, it was Eddie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> in honor, so in honor of her grandfather. Robert and Amy were patient. They knew their time would come. Same for Edith. Jack, on the other hand, lacked patience. In 1991, Jack was only 20 years old, but he had the rap sheet of a 40-year-old. From age 14 on, he had been booked for almost every petty crime you could imagine. Robbery, car theft, forged checks, you name it. His behavior had even led to a threat from his father. Get your stuff together or you will be taken out of the will. When you've started your life spoiled, then you turn rotten, it's difficult to get back on track. Jack was relying on the family money for his future. Not that he had any grand plans, but he had hoped to live the life of luxury, which would hopefully keep him from needing to steal from others. Knowing he wouldn't be able to get on the straight and narrow, the ultimatum had put him in a difficult spot. Jack decided he needed to find a way to get rid of his grandmother before his rap sheet grew any longer. To make sure he would still receive his share of the inheritance, he would need to make sure whatever happened to her looked like an accident. Now, it's not like the Howell family was poor without the money from Bernice. Robert had stepped into his father's role and was running the company. He was even giving Jack an allowance. It just hadn't been sufficient enough, at least not to Jack. Jack's a whiny little shit. Well, the old school Nepo baby. Nepo. Nepo baby. <laughs> Nipple baby. Nepo baby. <laughs> Nepo. <laughs> 
Nipo. But with that bit of money Jack had, he reached out to some of the friends he had met through his years of crime. Jack and his cronies, Kevin White and Jarvis Sutton, devised a plan to keep Good his... old Jarvis. Classic Jarvis. <laughs> a traditional Floridian name. To keep his name clear, Jack wouldn't be directly involved. He would, however, pay Kevin and Jarvis $1,000 each to make his plan come to life. A thousand? Is that what you it just said? It was 1991. Ugh, grandma, that is so mean. Waiting until the end of June that year, when temperatures were perfect, the two men drove in Jarvis's truck to the nearby Lake Jessup. Lake Jessup is about 16,000 acres and is home to about 13,000 alligators. Being reptiles, alligators are dormant in colder temperatures, but they do get hungry, therefore dangerous when it's warm. Armed with a catch pole and a net, the boys left the Orlando area around 1 a.m. on June 28th. They drove the half an hour to Lake Jessup and set up shop. With their truck backed up to the lake, the catch pole ready, and some store-bought chicken breasts, they got ready to make the catch. Throwing the chicken into the water, they soon saw the dots of glowing eyes appear above the surface. Dropping the chicken closer and closer to the truck, they got lucky when a young, six-foot gator came near. Shockingly, they were able to loop it, get it in the net, and into the bed of the truck. To keep it calm for the ride, they taped its mouth and kept it in the net. They then drove 40 miles south back through Orlando and into Belle Isle. Per Jack's orders, they went to Bernice's home, walked through the back gate, and found the window he had told them to use. Sliding open the bedroom window, the men desperately hung onto the 150-pound thrashing animal, but couldn't control it long enough to lift it overhead into the window. Searching around for another option, they got lucky. Bernice was so comfortable in her neighborhood, she had left her back door unlocked. Seeing an opportunity, Kevin and Jarvis carried the animal over to the door, untaped its mouth, and got it as close to being inside as they could before fully removing the net. In a panic, the alligator crawled forward and found itself inside the house. The men then shut the door and drove off. The next morning, the Howell family received a devastating and disturbing call. Somehow, an alligator had found itself into Grandma's house. When they crossed paths in the morning, the animal, terrified and confused, no doubt, attacked Bernice, killing her. One officer who arrived at the scene early on said, quote, I've seen a handful of animal attacks, of course, but this one, this one will stay with me until the day I die. No one should have to meet that kind of fate. Sadly, the alligator was killed by animal control. With strange fingerprints on the open window matching fingerprints on the door, and one neighbor who told police she saw two strange men creeping around the outside of the house, police figured out pretty quickly that this had not been a lost alligator. Examining the animal, an expert was able to place it as a Lake Jessup resident and couldn't explain any natural reason it would have been in the area, let alone inside of a house. How'd they know it was from the lake? Was it tagged? Wearing a t-shirt. Oh, I don't know. It just said that. So I don't know if it was like the food or just the type. Like they can just tell. I ain't no alligator expert. Oops. Clue number one. Jack was on the police's radar immediately, given his history. He claimed to have had no involvement, saying he was just devastated by the loss of his grandma, Bernie. But no one was buying it. Police doing legit detective work soon found the checks Jack had written because it was 1991 and this guy was an idiot. And they brought Kevin and Jarvis in for questioning. With the pressure from the police and the promise of a plea deal, they of course squealed. Yes, they had put the alligator in Bernice's house. 
Yes, they did get it from the lake. Yes, Jack paid them to do so. Kevin and Jarvis pled guilty to unauthorized alligator hunting, a third-degree felony, aggravated animal cruelty, and the second-degree felony of aggravated manslaughter, the aggravated aspect coming from the circumstances and Bernice's age and how physically limited she was against the predator. Because they were willing to testify against Jack, they were spared murder charges. Kevin was sentenced to 18 years in fines. Jarvis was given 12 years plus fines. Kevin had been the one driving and had a longer record, hence the sentence differences. Jack was arrested and charged with solicitation to commit murder, conspiracy, second-degree murder, and animal cruelty. The circumstances of the solicitation, and that it led to Bernice's death, allowed the court to charge him with a capital felony. Knowing his former friends were waiting to testify against him, he was actually smart enough to take the deal. The animal cruelty charges were dropped, and he pled guilty to solicitation to commit murder and conspiracy. The death penalty was off the table, but he was given a life sentence with the possibility of parole in 30 years. Those 30 years came and went two years ago. Jack Howell's first petition for parole was denied. An alligator used as a deadly weapon? A greedy grandson just looking to get money? Is this tale of murder for hire Ali it's cracked up to be? Or is it just a crock? Oh, Dyer. Mm, boy. <laughs> Any guesses? I think it's fake. Mm, interesting. I, well, I have some reservations, but I believe it's true. Oh, interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's, there was a couple of things in there that, that made me think that it might not be real. Thank you. Okay. We'll revisit it at the end. Did you? Our next story is called, well, I couldn't decide, between Unbelievable or Queen Bee. Rory Woods had had it with the system. She had been an activist and protester who didn't hesitate to show up at events to show her support. Marches, protests, community events, she did it all. So when the 55-year-old learned of an eviction that would be taking place, she knew she had to do something to stop it. Rory was so passionate about what she believed in, she was happy to drive the 20 miles to Longmeadow, Massachusetts, where the home in question was located. Longmeadow is about 100 miles to the west of Boston. Devising a plan that was not only original but seemed flawless, she got to work that October morning. Getting her Xterra gassed up, she then hitched a flatbed trailer to the back and started the half-hour drive. As protective as she was of families being bullied by the system, she was especially happy to help if it was a Black family, as it was in this case. As we've all learned in the last few years, Black families are not only unfairly affected by credit, banks, and neighborhoods, but also landlords. Rory was ready to show her support to the homeowner, Alton King Jr., a 79-year-old retiree, no matter what cost it was to her. What she might not have known was that the case regarding this home in particular had been in the court system for a couple of years and was in the process of being repossessed by the bank. On top of that, this wasn't the type of home you would normally see such support for. This wasn't a small bungalow with a family just trying to get by. This was a 22-bedroom home worth $1.5 million. When Rory arrived at the home, she saw the Hampshire County Sheriff executing the eviction notice. She had gotten there just in time to implement her plan. Rory pulled her SUV up to the curb outside the home. Leaping out of the car, police were shocked to see a human-like figure covered in head-to-toe beekeeping gear. The jumpsuit, the gloves, the creepy head covering, she had it all. 
What she had loaded onto the trailer behind her car was six boxes holding beehives. As police approached her to see what was going on, she started shaking the boxes. A few bees came out, immediately stinging an officer on the face. She then smashed the lid of one of the hives open, releasing thousands of bees on the police. To get the bees even more agitated, she then toppled one of the towers from the trailer. It exploded onto the ground, and they all began to swarm. Within seconds, multiple officers were stung. While they were occupied with the attack, Rory grabbed another hive and scampered towards the front door of the home. She had hoped that by blocking the front door with the hive, the police would be forced to stay back and wouldn't be able to execute the eviction. Before she could unleash that hive, officers did some swarming of their own and they were able to arrest her. As they placed her in cuffs, Rory hollered to another protester, Take care of my dog! who was in the SUV that was actively surrounded by angered bees. One officer was already experiencing an allergic reaction to having been stung and was being taken to the hospital. When a deputy informed Rory of the reaction, she said, Oh, you're allergic? Good. Ooh. Speaking to reporters later, police shared that they were used to protesters, but most activists were aware that the officers were the messengers of the court. Even if they didn't want to do the eviction or they agreed with the protesters, there was nothing that could be done at the scene to change the situation. So for the most part, they would keep to their side. Police also shared that even when someone is evicted, they do try to help by connecting them to housing and job location services. Rory was arrested but quickly released without bail. Sadly, her protest caused the death of thousands of her bees. Neighbors with allergies were endangered and several officers had to be treated for their stings. Her dog was okay. In an interview, Rory said, quote, This is not about a few sheriffs getting a few honeybee stings. It's about predatory lending, which is thriving in Massachusetts and beyond. Officers who were at the scene and those who worked with the policewoman who had to go to the hospital had hoped for attempted manslaughter charges. Instead, Rory is facing four counts of assault and battery by means of a dangerous weapon, three counts of assault by means of a dangerous weapon, and one count of disorderly conduct. As this all took place just a few months ago in October of 22, we're still waiting to hear the outcome of her trial if there ends up being one. <laughs> so, was this story worth the buzz or have you been stung by fiction? I'm going to vote true. Ooh. Seems weird. Ooh. Just weird enough. Hmm. I am going to say that that one is false. Mm, you guys have been opposite on both. Okay, mm, it's division beyond belief. Ah. Belief. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom or the motherly figure in your life? Let me tell you about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send your recipient a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about, for example, your mom's life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or record her voice. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories forever. 
Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Obviously, we love anything surrounding storytelling. It's what we do. So to be able to gift this to my mom, to not only hear her stories, but the stories of my grandparents and other family members, it will create a cherished gift for all of us to enjoy. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code RAIN at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code RAIN for 10% off today. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up to your door in as little as two days. And when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out and choose more styles. Like many of you, my personal style has evolved over the years. But if I want to try something new, sometimes it's hard to know what pieces will work for me. Rather than going to the mall for hours or spending too much money on pieces I might not like, Armoire allows me to rent high-quality designer clothes for any occasion. I can try styles I never considered before without worrying about the store's return policy, like a pair of faux leather pants for my new band. Of course, all of this sounds great, but what's even better is that it's a woman-founded business. You benefit from finding the perfect outfits, all while supporting a business that was built by women just like us. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murder in the rain. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murder in the rain, one word, to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. This next story is about a love lost and is called Jailhouse Rock. In 1929, Richard Lennon and Mary Hossman were young lovers living in Loop City, Nebraska, not far from the Middle Loop River. They were teenagers, but Richard had always been the bad boy of the small town, home to barely a thousand residents. When he and his mother moved there when he was seven, they judged the single mother and their dislike of her transferred to her little boy. All of that changed when Richard was 15 and he met Mary, who was then 16. Mary was the good girl in town, never getting into trouble, never dressing or acting inappropriately, or at least that's how she was viewed by her neighbors. She was still in school at the time, a junior at Loop City High School. Richard had dropped out by then. Richard would later say that what he loved most about Mary was how, unlike everyone else, she didn't listen to the rumors or judge him for the things he had done. She, quote, got to know the real me, which up till then no one had bothered with doing. Sneaking away from her family after dinner in the summers, Mary would meet Richard at their spot at the Loop River. He may have had a history of small crimes, like stealing from a grocery store, breaking into a home, and taking some jewelry, but he was never really a bad boy with Mary. He respected that she was a girl who was waiting for marriage, so he patiently waited, enjoying any moment he could spend with her, especially their time at the river. 
They would go on walks, watch the sunset. He would play his guitar and serenade her. They would talk about their future plans, both of them seeing each other as part of their own. Mary would graduate high school, Richard would work and save up, and as soon as she was 18, they would get out of that small town and start a life of their own. But one colder than usual early autumn evening, everything changed. Planning on meeting Mary at their spot, Richard was worried when he couldn't find her. Walking along the river's edge and around a bend that she may have been waiting at, he couldn't believe what he saw when he came around the corner. On a blanket was Mary, and she was kissing another guy. In complete shock, Richard couldn't bring himself to confront the couple, so he ran away. As he did, his scarf got caught on some of the bushes. He didn't care. He kept running. Back at home, he was devastated, heartbroken. He would later claim that he had stayed at home all night, spending his time crying and sleeping. He was abruptly woken the next morning by a pounding at his door. It was the sheriff, and they needed to bring him in for questioning. Richard couldn't imagine why, but he went anyway. And being that this was Nebraska in 1929, they weren't exactly tight on their rules when it came to speaking with a minor. What Richard hadn't known was that Mary never made it home that night. Concerned, as their daughter never stayed out past her curfew, her parents called the police. Telling them she liked to spend her evenings at the river, the search commenced there. While the police searched for Mary or a clue as to where she was, Richard was at the police station and he swore up and down that he was innocent. Yes, he had had that horrible encounter that made him sick, so he had been in the area, and he did see her that night, but he was upset, and he didn't speak to or approach her. He left her there at the river, safe and sound. All hopes that Mary may have run off with another boy were lost when Mary's body was recovered from the river. Her cause of death, strangulation via ligature. The ligature was Richard's scarf. Looking into what had brought Richard and his mother, Patricia, to the area, they learned of a disturbing history. When Richard was seven and living a thousand miles away in Kilbourne, Ohio, his military father left the family. Not long after, Richard caught his mother, much like he had Mary, with another man. Angry and confused, he claimed to have wanted to put a stop to his mother's behavior, which in his mind had been what caused his father to have left. So he threw a candle on the ground to get her attention. Unfortunately, it not only got her attention, but it caught the house on fire. The flames took their home, and it also took the life of his mother's boyfriend. Not wanting to see her baby in prison, they ran off to Nebraska. When word got out that the angel of Loop City, Mary, had been killed by the boy already seen as the devil, mobs showed up outside Richard and Patricia's house, real 1920s style. Once again, Richard and his mother Patricia lost a home to a fire— This time, it was one set by the residents of Loop City. With Richard's scarf as the only evidence, he was very quickly charged, tried, and found guilty of her murder. Somehow, perhaps due to the lack of evidence or because of his age, he was spared the death penalty, but given life in prison, which he started serving at the Omaha Correctional Center in March of 1930. He was just 16 years old. Prison was, of course, awful for Richard, especially since he knew he was innocent. To cure his blues, he would pass the time strumming on his guitar. His cellmate, Conrad Falk, another young man who was in for raping and killing a woman, appreciated his soft strumming and peaceful melodies. Conrad didn't realize Richard was actively working on a song about what had happened to him and Mary, until one day Richard asked if he could play the song for Conrad. As Richard played his haunting tune about his love for Mary, their time at the river, and how he was wrongly convicted for killing her, Conrad began to cry. Richard took it as a compliment at first, 
But the weeping continued, and he thought something must have been wrong. He even apologized for upsetting the guy who had become his closest, albeit only, friend. Catching his breath and wiping his eyes, Conrad looked up to Richard and asked if that song was the true story of why he was going to spend his life behind bars. He told him it was. Conrad cried again. He then hollered for a guard and asked to be removed from the cell. Richard was nothing short of confused. Why would that song make his friend so upset? Richard didn't see his cellmate for the rest of the day. The following morning, another guard was at Richard's bars. He opened the gate and told them that he was going to be meeting with his lawyer and signing some paperwork. After that, he would be free to go. Richard was sure he was dreaming. Why would he suddenly be able to go home? What was the catch? Were they going to retry him? Meeting with his lawyer, he learned why he was going to once again be a free man. It turned out Conrad was so moved by his friend's beautiful song, he wanted to do the right thing for once. So he had his lawyer come in and he drew up a confession. The details of Richard's song, the sadness he felt for his lost love, and the fact that he was going to lose his own life for it had Conrad realizing Richard was singing about a murder he had committed. In the 1920s, Conrad had been a bit of a transient and possibly even a serial killer, but more on that another time. Because of the song, he was able to piece together the girl, the place, and the time. On that chilly night, he had come across Mary, who was in fact waiting for Richard so they could have their usual evening picnic. Chatting with the lovely lady, they were soon sitting on the blanket together. That's when Conrad grabbed her and started kissing her, which had been the moment Richard witnessed. Not long after Richard ran away, Mary tried to do the same, but Conrad caught up to her. They wrestled a bit before he grabbed the nearest weapon he could, the scarf. He then strangled Mary and haphazardly threw her body into the river before moving on. He was caught just a few weeks later after being the suspect in a rape and murder of a victim in Hastings, Nebraska. Finally doing a good deed, he confessed to killing Mary. Having two victims, he was then sentenced to death. Richard Lennon was released from prison and allowed to go home. So is it possible a heartbroken, wrongly committed man's song saved him from a life behind bars? Or is this story all washed up? Fake news. Mm. There was there was one thing that made me think it might be fake, and so I have to go with that. Oh, interesting. I can't say what yet. Oh, I mean, I guess I could. Yeah, what is it? I'm not going to uh, said something about him being a serial killer and said more on that another time. I thought, hmm, that could be a, a fake ruse. out. A little fake oh. out. So. Interesting. Other than that, though, I... Interesting. I, I, it seemed real to me. Sounded like a country song to me. So interesting. But where do you think they get the ideas for country songs? <laughs> Murders from real life from the 1920s. Yeah, the time frame, all of that made makes sense to me as realistic. Like someone mm. doing like writing a song and <laughs> saving themselves or whatever. Interesting. <laughs> Silly. I'm honored that you guys think my writing is that uh, dubious. Well, I think you're pretty dubious. So. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our final story comes from the United Kingdom and is called Barely There. Mm. A few years ago, Costco came out with an item that seemed like no one needed, but everyone had a humongous teddy bear. Now that multiple companies make them, you may have seen one yourself. They have tan fur, dark eyes, a cream snout, and at almost five feet tall, the bears are what some might call a romantic gesture, while others may see them as an abomination. Others still 
may see it as an escape plan. Joshua Dodson had a history with the police, even at just 18 years old. The boy from Manchester, England, just couldn't help himself when it came to stealing cars and tools and tablets and doing property damage. The boy had sticky criminal fingers. On one occasion, Josh had stolen a car. After taking some Snapchats in the driver's seat, he then took the car to get gas, or petrol, as they call it. And after filling the tank, he took off without paying. I guess overseas, you pay after filling. This was yet another violation on his record. With the use of cameras and witnesses, police soon figured out the thief was Joshua Dodson. A warrant was then issued for his arrest. Now that they had a name as to who had stolen at least one car and on top of it had been doing so while driving without a license, officers went to Joshua's home in Rochdale. To no one's surprise, he wasn't there. Tracking him down, they learned he may have been staying at or even living with his girlfriend, Olivia, 20 miles away in Manchester. Josh loved his girlfriend, Olivia. He had even gifted her one of those obnoxiously large bears as a symbol of his love for her, which she kept in the corner of her room. Did he steal that, too? <laughs> Probably. And then put it in a stolen like, car. No one will see me at Costco. <laughs> do, 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 creepy criminal walk. <laughs> oh, I just have to put this outside real quick. <laughs> it was now August, and the police were right on Joshua's tail. Arriving at Olivia's home, they began... <laughs> His little bear tail. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> little fluff. Arriving at Olivia's home, they began searching for any sign of Joshua, but they couldn't find him. They had felt certain their information was accurate and that this is where he should have been. I know where he is. Perhaps he had heard they were on their way and he made a run for it. Then a slight movement caught one of the officers' attention. It was that big bear, and it was moving. No, not moving. It was breathing ever so slightly. Police quickly surrounded the bear, and that's when Joshua crawled out of its bum. The six-foot-tall teenager had actually sliced the bear's right butt cheek and somehow, even with all of the fluff still inside the plush toy, made his way into the bear in an attempt to hide. It did not work. He was promptly arrested and charged. He was given nine months in jail and a suspended license for 27 months. In quotes that were perfectly written for Beyond Belief, an officer said, quote, He's now stuffed behind bars after being sentenced last week. Hopefully, he has a bearable time inside. Is this silly story a work of fact, or is it all fluff? That is absolutely true. It's, uh, it's, I, I believe it. I think that someone sees a bear that big and they're in that situation that, that that is what they would do. And it'd be sort of like probably a wish fulfillment in some way. I want to be inside a big teddy bear. Would you love me if I was a furry? Uh, yeah, I love those big teddy bears. And have you seen the the ones that are available or that were on Amazon that were like a big teddy bear? But when you got it, it was like the legs were super long. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are so funny. That's my favorite. Oh, that's a good teddy bear. Yeah, I believe it's it. like human proportions. Oh, except hmm. do they have Costco in the UK? They do. Okay. Mm. Okay. 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 Fact. So let's recap and reveal what you were able to deduce. Ooh, I'm going to get my little sheet out. Okay. Was the first story that of a spoiled grandson who was willing to have his grandmother killed by an alligator true? Or 
did you deduce the truth? I voted false. Okay. Scott? I think fact, because I, I, well, I think that you're good at this, and I feel like I've heard that story. The story of the alligator being used to murder the grandmother was fiction. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Boo, 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 boo. <laughs> That's what one point win. for Emily. Hell wow. yeah. All right. Queen Bee, the woman that used the honeybees to keep the eviction from happening. Is that true or false? I said true. False. The story of the woman using the bees to stop the police from evicting an old man is true. Oh, my no God. Way. It took place last October wow. in Massachusetts. How embarrassing. We're still waiting for me? to hear no. her sentence. Yeah. No, just for her that the story is true. That's, That's two crazy. points wow. for Emily. Hell yeah. Found my calling. Okay, next one. Did a young man's slammer song save his skin? Or were you able to deduce the truth? I said false. I, d- I did too. I hope it's true, but I think it's false. Well, what I like, Emily, is that you said it sounded like a country song. It's a song, isn't it? I knew it. It's a song. This is a song. I think I know it. I think that's why I thought it sounded like a song. I was very excited about that. <laughs> Who is this? Oh, is this an 80s song? Yeah. Richard Marks. This is Richard oh Marks's Hazard. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it sounded too familiar. And it's his story about uh, being in Nebraska and his girlfriend ends up dead in the river wow. and he's the bad boy. So everyone's like, it was him. Wow. But he says, I swear I left her by the river. Oh. I swear I left her safe and sound. So, yes, that is a false story inspired by Richard Marx's hazard. And I'm pretty sure. Deep cut. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure your last one I've heard about. Yeah, I heard Hazard on the radio and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm writing that out <laughs> as a story. Oh, no, I, I meant the next story. Sorry. Yes, I was answering him. Oh, OK. Our final story from the United Kingdom, barely there or barely breathing. Is this a true or false story? It's another one that I think I I might have heard. Yeah. I... And and I just well, there have been other things like that. Like the I think there was a robber that got caught. One who had like was hiding in the house and someone in the house made a joke and they laughed at it. Oh, yeah. And then another one where the robber farted. And got oh, God. Yeah. That's oh, fu- so that would be that's me. That's why I know it. Is that other, I've read another story. I just love that. All right. Well, I said true. Yeah. The story of young Joshua Dodson, who just can't keep his hands to himself, is true. No, yeah. found. They do have pictures of the slashed victim the bear yeah the bear was it was it on the butt cheek yes it that, was on the butt that was yeah. something that really sold it for me too. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah that sounds real i'm a four for four man Woo, yeah. Yeah. good job got, put me on a jury on tuesday <laughs> <laughs> i got two yay i'm glad that you were stumped completely because those are great worried. though those yeah. are you did okay. a good job gathering stories it's, it's really cool because it does it kind of like it feels like it's hitting something in the back of your mind. Yeah. But you just, it's, it's, well, it's fun. That's why so <laughs> I felt like of all of them, the song one was like, I could see that happening. Right. But it sounds <laughs> way too familiar. I just switched it. That's why. So like instead of 1992, it's 1929. Yeah, that's great. And then I was like, well, I don't want to say Richard Mark, so I'll say Richard. And, yeah. I was like, and I was like, oh, I want to do another singer. Oh, I'll do Lennon. So Richard Lennon. Oh, my God. And her name is Mary funny. in the book oh or in the song. So I, And he's in Hazard, Nebraska. So I did Loop City instead. Oh, there was one, too, um, where you yeah. used the name 
Jack, uh, Jack Howell, I think. Yeah. And I know there's like, those are like family yeah. somethings. And I was like, mm. I don't, yeah, I don't know which one that was. But, yeah. Cool. Well, that it. was very fun. It was I fun feel like I like, want to do one of those you someday. Should. You should. That's fun. Yeah. Listeners, what did you yeah, do? Yeah. <laughs> Please, we love your uh, Patreon comments. They're all, what was the oh we got that one the other day and I can't remember their name. They're like, can't wait for wet dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And I said, oh great, <laughs> now Josh is gonna have a series. <laughs> so yes, let us know what your points were. I would love to know if I stumped anybody. Um, if you have funny ideas? news stories or yeah even just an idea of a story or anything like that um shoot oh yeah it my way. please send them some deep cut urban legends anything like that would be super fun so we'll keep doing that so. and uh, also let me know if you guys want a wet dynamite t-shirt <laughs> it may only live we'll as a make, t-shirt we'll make five wet dynamite shirts <laughs> and you they can be yours if you come to orlando <laughs> that's right yeah, the first five fans will get a rain one. ten for ninety percent on ninety percent on in a free wet dynamite t-shirt. You sicko! Or maybe we get stickers and it's like oh, I like stickers. kind of like a droopy dynamite stick, like it got wet. Yeah, so it's just hanging like and a flaccid wiener. I think wiener. we can give away anything for free, though. You can only pick three things to sell there. Oh, so we have to be very slow. Okay, uh, my body <laughs> definitely. I think that's illegal in Florida, shockingly. Well, what if it's just like a donation (laughs) to this ass? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, all right. Well, there you go. Thank you, everyone, for your deduce. For your deuce. (laughs) For your wet, steamy deuce. (laughs) Deduce you later. Deduces. Deduces. (laughs) Bye. Deduce. 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 Okay. I'm going to deduce my parents. All right, here we go. I'm so. Oh, no. <laughs> uh oh, he's quiet. He's quanky. No. <laughs> no. No, I'm not. <laughs> you are quanky. <laughs> Indulge me. Of the prophets along. Nope. It's all a lie. <laughs> there are no, no shoe cobblers there. <laughs> Yeah, it's only flip-flops, right? <laughs> That's right. Stepping on pop-tops. Blown out. Now if they were crocodile <laughs> shoes. Oh. The half hour to Lake Jessup and sh- shut up shop. Do alligators like being in trucks? I don't think I so. wouldn't think so. They are water creatures. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Hitched a flatbed, flatbed trailer. Hitched a flatbed. Oh, my gosh. Hitched a flatbed trailer. Flatbed. Flat bed. She had gotten there just in time. Um, to... Hold on. Yeah. Hamp- Hampshire or Hampshire? Because uh. I got made fun of on TikTok when I accidentally said Shire. When Rory arrived at the home, she shot. She shot a Hampshire Shire Shire. <laughs> Did I get it? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> not one mistake. Yes. This is not about a few sheriffs getting a few honeybeans. Ooh, honeybeans. <laughs> mm, I'm hungry. This next story is about a love lost and is called Jailhouse Rock. Oh, I clicked over myself. (laughs) Well, because it was down, and then I was like, oh, shit, I got to hold it, and then I didn't.
Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> My phone got sweaty, okay? It slipped. This next story. Wait a second. Who was that? That was me. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to let her have one. <laughs> I can't help it. She's got period cramps. <laughs> we really are just like the, the throat burp sisters. <laughs> it never ends. They judged the single mother and their dislike of her transferred to her little... <laughs> I need to pay attention. I've been shopping for Orlando tickets. Um, too. Ooh. That's an option. Oh, yeah. I'll see. I'll see. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> Hagrid's right. Oh, you'd go through this whole thing and you're flying on the like bike I and then it, it says like, goodbye, <laughs> Joshua. <laughs> Spoiler alert. It's going to be fun. Thrill rides. Churros, racists. It's gonna be great. <laughs> we'll see you in Florida. Hey guys, there's a mummy. Thanks for coming. Next, Jailhouse Rock. Did someone? Did a man's song in the slammer? The yes. Did a man's song in the slammer show bring man? Blah 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 blah. blah. <laughs> yeah. No, keep that. This was yet another violation on his records. Record. <laughs> everyone hear Record. that? My record. And I just keep going. Record. <laughs> Deduce. Murder in the Rain is a Cascade Media production, written, hosted, and edited by Josh McCullough, Emily Rowney, and Alicia Holland. Feel free to email us at murderintherain at gmail.com or through our website, murderintherain.com. For as little as a dollar a month, you can subscribe on Patreon to get exclusive access to ad-free and older episodes. For only $5, you can access Patreon-exclusive episodes and content. For more of us, be sure to follow on all the socials, listen to Josh and Alicia on their other show, Always Be My Sisters, and follow Emily on TikTok at M underscore Murder in the Rain. And suck my balls. <laughs> the deuce is loose. <laughs> <laughs>